0: Reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look, delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Me, 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 but also you. The Pharaoh fast forwards his favorite foreign film. Powder donut.
1: <clears throat> okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the name your price tool from Progressive. Oh man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm gonna need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous Walrus. The Bulbous Walrus.
0: The name your price tool. Only from Progressive. The hour and a of the comatose coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates Price and Coverage Match Limited by State Law. Welcome in, friends, to this edition of the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast, where our team may not win, but we do (laughs) occasionally. My name is James Naveau from NBC5 Chicago. With me, of course, as always, is the one and only Jay Zawoski of 670 to Score and the I'm Fat Podcast. Jay Zawoski, we are still covering a winless hockey team, but the Blackhawks did get a point on Tuesday night against the Florida Panthers. So there's no longer a goose egg, at least in that column. How are you feeling, buddy?
1: I'm feeling good. It's a good day overall. Um, I think we're going to get into it, but there there are are some definite positives and there's some definite good signs about the Blackhawks. Um, We'll dissect all that. A couple things before we get started, we want to tell you about. So let's get all our particulars out of the way before we get going. Uh, First and foremost, make sure you are uh, following, subscribed to the podcast uh, wherever you listen, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever. Make sure you subscribe so you get those alerts when new episodes come out. Uh, Those five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts go a really, really long way in helping the podcast, so make sure you do that. Follow us on Twitter at MadhousePod. We're on Instagram at Madhouse underscore pod. Go to MadhousePod.com for all things Madhouse Podcast, including a link to our merchandise shop, MadhousePodMerch.com. That's powered by our friends at Triple Threat Sports. For all your team outfitting needs, call Chris 708-478-6090 this episode is coming out on Wednesday January 20th tomorrow the 21st we'll be releasing our NWHL preview with Marissa and Jemmy from Sportsnet it's great you're going to really like it you're going to learn a lot about uh, not just the NWHL's upcoming season but how the league functions and where it's going from here and then Friday opening night Blackhawks Red Wings at 7 p.m james and i are going to be on hot mic hot mic you can join us live watch the game and interact with us you can actually sync your tv up to our feed so you're not ahead or behind the action at all Uh, it's really great it's interactive and we'll just sort of uh it's kind of like mystery science theater 3000 where we just sort of comment on things as they're happening they also have a new feature where you can uh, tip the hosts and jump in on the broadcast for a few minutes as well so we look forward to that to get hot mic Go to your app store on Android or iOS. Search for Hot Mike. It's free. Download it. When you sign up, they're going to ask you for a referral code or a promo code. Enter the code MADHOUSE. Uh, and that way you will uh, be linked up to all of our uh, live broadcasts. So it's a lot of fun. Join us Friday during the Hawks-Red Wings game. It's going to be a great time on Hot Mike. I think I got to everything. Did I forget anything? <laughs> uh, no, I think we're good. <laughs> all right, good. It's like my bird in every show is like, don't forget I, I, and I rushed through it because I don't want to forget to say anything, but I also don't want to bore people with the details of the podcast. But those are important things. Those reviews, I never mentioned those. Those are really, those are very, very helpful. So yeah, if we,
0: we like reviews. We like, uh, obviously, we like hanging out with you guys on the Hot Mic broadcast. When I sent that, I sent a tweet out yesterday about all the stuff we have coming up, and I just got really excited, man. And I know that these... T- First four games have been kind of uh, a challenge, I will uh, say diplomatically. Sure, but getting to watch the fifth game with all of you guys on Friday night is going to be an absolute blast, and I'm really thrilled to be recording this today. I'm re- thrilled that we're going to have Marissa on tomorrow. It's going to be a good rest of the week, man. Let's let's be happy, Blackhawks fans. There's some stuff to be happy about today,
1: definitely. And we have James and I pride ourselves on not being uh, jumping out the window podcast every time the Hawks lose. We're trying to stay positive. And if you zoom out on this season, yes, the Hawks are 0-3-1, okay? But if you zoom out, what you're seeing is, for the most part, competitive games. Maybe the score sheet doesn't reflect that, but the the play does. The metrics sort of bear that out, that it's not really so far apart as it looks. And really, in a rebuilding year, especially without Taves, especially without Doc, competitive losses are probably the best-case scenario The players don't want to hear that. The coaches don't want to hear that. Stan Bowman probably doesn't want to hear that. But really, if the end goal is to get back on track as quickly as possible, finishing at the bottom or near the bottom of the league is the fastest way there. And it sucks. And I think had Taves and Doc been healthy, we could have maybe talked about sneaking into the playoffs. But the way it is now, there's not a lot of hope. So what you want to see is development. What you want to see is competitiveness. And I think. For the most part, there have been a few hmm, moments there and a few players I'm a little concerned about, which we'll get to. But for the most part, they haven't looked terrible. Overall, James, my take is they just lack the firepower. If Kane and Kubelik and DeBrinken aren't scoring, which they are, there's really no one else on the roster that scores consistently. And that's kind of the the depth of scoring is a problem. And that's really, to me, been the, the main factor of the season.
0: I thought last night was a really good kind of encapsulation of where the Blackhawks are right now, basically as a team on the ice because you had Dominic Kubelik who had eight shots on goal and two goals last night. You had Patrick Kane score one of the sickest goals that we've seen in recent memory. Just like, honestly, Jay, I can probably count on one hand the number of guys who can score that backhand goal that he scored last night. It is always so awesome to see him do that and know that it's such a rare talent Um, So you have those positives. You have some of the younger guys like P.S. Suter who are making steps forward and they are Mm -hmm. looking good. But then you also had the downside stuff, which was their penalty kill continues to be abysmal. Their defense continues to be a serious concern. They still gave up five goals. So I know that Kevin Lankinen looked okay last night, but he's still going to give up some goals because they don't have that number one stopper. So I thought that last night's game for good – for good, bad, or worse, I thought was pretty much what we can expect from the Blackhawks for at least the next little while here because they can score, like you said, when those guys like the Canes, the Kubeliks, when those guys are scoring, they can get goals in bunches, and it's good. But then you also have the issues with defense and goaltending, and I thought that last night was a game that the Blackhawks, at least according to possession numbers and maybe the eye test to a degree, outplayed the Panthers but just mm-hmm. couldn't quite get that second point
1: yeah and you know it's tough when you battle back you tie the game and then 71 seconds later uh or I'm sorry you take the lead then 71 seconds later the game's tied again those sort of literally
0: thi- the only 71 seconds the Blackhawks have led a game the entire yeah
1: season. and those things those are the kind of crushing things and that that was my big concern with the goaltending thing was you're gonna have games like last night against Florida where the team plays pretty well. You could argue deserve to win the game. And while I'm not, I I wanna be careful here. I'm not blaming Kevin Lankinen or Callan Delia or Malcolm Subban for any of the losses, but when you've got three guys that are unproven, when you're a struggling team, sometimes you need your goalie to lift you out of that. To just say, F this, I'm not going to allow this team to lose this game. I'm going to stand on my head, make saves I have no business making, and win this game for the team. And when I look at these three guys, I don't see any goalie like that on the roster. Sure, one of them can have a game like that. But when you had Corey Crawford and you had Robin Leonard, Hawks picked up wins last year they had no business picking up because of those guys. That's a luxury they don't have this year. And if Lankinen and Subban and make the saves they're supposed to make, With this defense and with this lack of firepower, it's probably not going to be enough to just do the expected. They're going to have to be better than average to get this team wins, and right now I don't see it.
0: Okay, so I, you know what? I think this is actually a perfect time for us to kind of drill into this conversation because I know that we kind of were talking before the show about getting into some encouraging signs and less than encouraging signs from the first four games, and we're going to get into kind of these lists. But I think one of the biggest headlines about the Blackhawks basically before the season started and now that the season has started, is the goaltending. They had a great stat last night on the NBC uh, Sports Chicago broadcast where they mentioned that the Blackhawks have never started three goalies in their first four games. That has never happened for them. And it's been, I believe, 15 seasons since a team has done that Hmm. in the NHL in general. And so... I found myself kind of thinking about a couple of different things last night, Jay, and I would love to get your take on them. The first is this idea of, like, writing the hot goaltender, right? Like, this is something that Jeremy Colleton has talked about in the past. Every hockey coach in the history of ever has talked about this. Obviously, they've all given up five goals now, which is kind of a weird statistical quirk that I don't think they were really anticipating getting. My question about that is, A, Do you think that the Blackhawks are doing themselves a disservice by just basically spinning the roulette wheel and putting a different goaltender in net every night, not even giving any of them a chance to potentially get hot? Or do you think that it's something that this is what the team has to do until it can identify a guy who can stop the puck consistently?
1: I think they have to find out who the best of the three is. And when you look at them as a trio right now, their combined save percentage is 850,
0: That poor boy sandwich is looking more and more like a possibility this season, by the way. Yes, it is. For those listeners who don't know, Jay and I made a bet on the uh, season opening podcast about whether any of the Blackhawks goalies would have a save percentage above 90, and I said no, and we bet a Marishka's poor boy on it, so... I'm already uh, tasting that Yodel Burger, Jay.
1: Yeah, you you might I might just I might just ship you one anyway, just to just get it out of the way. But you're, yeah, so a combined 850 save percentage. They have stopped 114 of 134 shots against. When you look at them individually, Delia leads with uh, 863 save percentage. Subban 848, and Lankinen, who I thought has looked the best, 821 save percentage. Only 23. Uh, I'm sorry, 28 shots against him last night he allowed five goals and he did make some good saves he looked good positionally deep in his net I noticed very deep in his net that Um, is
0: something I was going to bring up as well and
1: I don't know if that's a this is my first NHL game kind of a thing or if it's a style sort of a thing but that's something to keep an eye on so I think what the Hawks need to do to make a long answer boring um is is establish which of these three is the best and just if you're going to start riding someone, which I think you have to do, we heard Corey Crawford and Robin, I think Robin Leonard said so too, that splitting the net is tough because it's hard to get a rhythm. Goalies need a rhythm. And I think they need to quickly establish who their one and two are going to be and and kind of ride out that number one until he loses that job. I'm not ready to hand it to any of the three. I'm willing to give it another you know week or so and just see who sort of emerges as the best guy here. But if I had to lay my money down right now, if the Hawks have a one game to play to get into the playoffs for some reason, I think I'm going with Delia oh. just and I, I don't feel great about that, but just I feel like he concerns me the least.
0: OK, well, that dovetails perfectly into my second question, okay. then, which, right. by the way, I, I like this. Had, I had no resolution at all to that first question. <laughs> no I kept thinking about it a lot. And I just I can't think of a good reason why you would lock into a goaltender right now. Because right. Because you can't none give of some... them have shown you anything. And I get that it's a very limited sample size, especially for a guy like Subban, who's gotten to play one game so far. Like that's not going to be enough for me to judge him. Obviously. Yeah,
1: like, I, I do want to see more of Subban. I really um, do. Yeah. And I just you know, um, first round pick, he's got the athleticism. I would like him to rely less on athleticism and more on positioning. And I think that would help him out a lot. And, uh, Scott powers wrote about this, how Jimmy Waite um, is challenged now with three goalies who, um, you know, who are, who are not, established like Crawford was and like Leonard was he's got to develop these guys now so it'll be interesting to see what he does with his position all right your second question I'm sorry
0: my second question actually sort of involved the positioning thing but it was kind of a more general question just about confidence I think in the net I think in the first game what we saw and what we kind of alluded to is that Subban doesn't rely on his positioning to make saves he relies on his athleticism. He Mm -hmm. definitely is a guy who is going to try to kick from post to post and just kick his pads and his glove and his blocker all over the place to try to stop everything. And that's just probably the style of goaltender that he is. I look at Colin Delia and I look at a guy who probably needs to lean more on technical proficiency in order to stop pucks. My question is whether or not he has that proficiency because he lost his net quite a few times in the two games that he played. And also – don't leave the net to play the puck, you idiot! Like <laughs> yes. he did that multiple times, yes, he did, <laughs> and it was real bad. And I, I, I posted an image of a uh, Millhouse from The Simpsons tied to the goalposts, and I know that that's a very overused <laughs> meme when it comes to hockey. But I think for Colin Delia, might be apl- might be applicable. I'm just yeah. gonna say that It just so it gives oh, me sorry, the flashbacks
1: this, of, of Eddie Belfort. just like getting bored during a game and just like I'm gonna go in the corner and play the puck like oh my god <laughs> get back in the net and it usually worked out okay. It, but it
0: was a Mike Smith moment <laughs> is yeah. what I'm gonna oh call god. it uh, without the butt goal. Um, yes. the third like the and to kind of put the caper on the question and where I really wanted to get your opinion on. Is Kevin Lankinen the guy that you feel is probably the best combination of athletic and technically proficient? Because I know that he was deep in his goal crease last night, and I was going to bring that up. It's not He's not like Corey Crawford. He's not going to come out way past the top of the crease to right. attack a shooter and to force a shot. And I'm curious to know, like, just watching him in that first game, yeah, his rebound control was sketchy, but he also made some really good saves that I thought were – a product of positioning and athleticism, is he the best combination of those two traits that the Blackhawks have right now?
1: I, I don't think there's much question about it. He uh, Lankanen seems to me like the combination of Dealey and Subban. And um, I, I don't know if that's good. But but, <laughs> but, but style-wise, yes. And one thing I want to get to, too, is I was very impressed with Lankanen's, um I don't want to say cockiness or arrogance, but confidence confidence uh and absolute. his and his post-game presser just talking very matter-of-factly like yeah you know there were some saves i made and even like the overtime goal winner he got a piece of it like it was almost enough to make the save i like his uh bravado in that and i think when i look at these guys and i'm sort of projecting three four years into the future i do believe in Lincoln and probably the most to come out as a guy with maybe he's just a backup but i think of the three he's got the best future i just don't know where he is right now And that's why to answer to go back to your first question, I need to see more of all three of these guys to establish who gets the net the most.
0: Yeah, and I and I completely agree with that. I was just kind of saying at our now that we've gotten our first blush and we've gotten our first like, you know, view of all three of these guys in NHL action, I that's the thing that kind of struck me the most was like the Yeah, it's three guys who are all trying to prove themselves, but they all have such, like, different styles, and I found that really fascinating, and I think it's going to be one of those uh, elements and narratives of the season as we go along that I think is going to be really interesting to pay attention to, and, you know, obviously we have a lot to pay attention to already with the development of the young guys on both offense and defense, I also think the goaltending battle is going to be very intriguing, even if it's frustrating sometimes, and that's why I was kind of giving those things some thoughts last night as I was kind of watch. I rewatched the game. I was up until about one in the morning because I had watched the game while I was working, and I was like, you know. I'm going to watch this again because I really wanted to kind of ISO in on a couple of guys, and Lankanen was definitely one of them, and that was one of the things that struck me, like you said. He has a certain poise and a confidence in the crease that I'm wondering if Suban and Delia have, and I'm not going to draw a bunch of like broad proclamations based on one or two games that these guys have all played, but... Those are kind of my first thoughts, and I'm wondering if uh, time is going to validate those or if time is going to prove them to be completely wrong. I just wanted to get them out there in podcast form so that there's like some on the record uh, thing about my Mm -hmm. kind of evolution of my thinking about these guys.
1: The Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast is brought to you by our friends at Marishka's and Crest Hill, 604 Theater Street. They're family owned and operated since 1933. James is on his way to a free Yodel Burger, uh, courtesy of the Blackhawks' bad goaltending trio. <laughs> well, I will treat myself to a poor boy when I'm on my way out there. But treat yourself and your family to Mariska's and Crest Hill. I believe, as of last press time, they are open for dine-in if, if such things interest you. Uh, so go out to Crest Hill, visit them. Uh, if you want to just take care of it, obviously, that's an option as well. But uh, support these small businesses in this tough time. Looks like we're sort of starting to turn the corner, maybe a little bit, hopefully, maybe. Um, but they still need your support. So head to Marishka's.com or Facebook.com slash Marishka's. That's M-E-R-I-C-H-K-A-S. They're closed only on Christmas, Easter, the 4th of July, and Thanksgiving. So you've got plenty of time to head on out to Crest Hill and get yourself a poor boy, a yodel burger, or any of their amazing menu items at Marishka's. All right, so a uh, couple other positives I wanted to get to James uh before we get to our, you know, uh our little list we discussed. I have been really pleased with the way Dylan Strom has played this year. And this was sort of the big question we had coming into this offseason was what which Dylan Strom are the Blackhawks signing, right? Is it the guy we saw after the trade from Arizona where he came in and was a definite asset? played really well, was almost a point-per-game per, per game guy, found very quick chemistry with Alex Dabrinkit, or is he going to be the Dylan Strome we saw last season, and especially in last season's playoffs, where he sort of seemed like a passenger a little bit? And in fairness, that was a bit of an injury-plagued year for Dylan, and I don't know if he was ever fully 100% all year, but I really like what I'm seeing from him this year. Most importantly, maybe most noteworthy, rather, 61% from the faceoff dot Mm -hmm. that's excellent you could tell he's been putting the work in at the dot he's got a goal he's got an assist there was a moment last night where he split the defense and almost was able to pull off a shot on goal but the puck just got away from him a little bit I like the way he's playing I like the aggressiveness he's shown and to me it looks like the Connor The sorry I'm seeing the word Connor Murphy it looks like the Dylan Strom of two years ago is back and hopefully he's here to stay
0: yeah, four games into the season, and obviously we can you know, revise our thoughts on this as we go along, but that is something that I've obviously been struck by as well, and your comments about him in the face-off circle are kind of indicative, I think, of the way he seems to be approaching this season, which is just with abandon, and he's trying really hard to do a lot of different things well for this team, and I think he's succeeding in a lot of them. You can tell there's some motivation here, and whether it's because of the contract dispute in the offseason where they kind of were you know just kind of dancing around signing a contract eventually whether he's trying to prove himself to other teams if the Blackhawks decide to trade him whatever the motivation is for Dylan Strome I do think that there is a definite difference in the way that he's at least approaching the game and I think that I have to give Jeremy Colleton credit for this, and it's something that I I did have on my positives list, so I guess we're going to kind of start digging into that at least a little bit. I have to give Jeremy Colleton some credit for pulling the plug on the strom debrinkit cane line as quickly as he did because it was something that you and I had noticed in the first game or two that that line just was not working. It looked very dysfunctional, very disjointed, whatever you want to call it. The decision to put Strom with Dominic Kubelik and Philip Kuryshev has been. Excellent. That line has really generated some really solid push. All three guys have looked really good, really dangerous on offense. I've been very impressed with both of the wings, the way that they've been playing with Strom at center. That line gives the Blackhawks a lot more flexibility in terms of dictating matchups, and it really I think plays to the strengths of guys like Kubelik and Strom to have a guy like Kurishev who is so dang fast and is so confident with the puck. And I and I think it's been doing wonders for Dylan and So, obviously, credit to him for stepping up his game through these first four games and really kind of trying to prove himself worthy of the number one center job, of Mm -hmm. his contract, whatever it is. And then credit to Jeremy Colleton for recognizing that the line that he was on to start the season wasn't working and not being afraid to make a really quick change in one that I think is working out really well
1: yeah i i agree with that uh that that line combination worked i also like that he is working in some young players here and there he was not afraid to put kurashev in game two brandon hagel went in for matthew highmore uh and last night's loss and i i feel like they're kind of interchangeable <laughs> like, just yeah like, maybe they're just two jerseys one says hagel one says highmore and the same dude just puts on whichever one he feels like that night um but they're very similar players um but hagel's a guy they're higher on i think than highmore so I'd like to see him get another look. Again, the consistency you've gotten
0: more of a look at Heimwer to be fair. I For think sure. the Hagel hasn't quite gotten the run that Heimwer has. Oh,
1: not at all. It, it, but again, Heimwer had a really nice playoff last year against Edmonton, so it's, you know, it's it's hard to work these guys in. Um the concern I have though is while he's doing a a, a good job of identifying and changing lines when they need to be changed, some ice time things still mm, 14:16 of ice time for Dominic Kublik is not enough. That's not enough. He had 3 points, plus 1, 8 shots on goal, two more shot attempts in 14:16. When you've got a guy who is your hottest player, who's generating the most offense, you got to find a way to get him out there. Right? You've got to find a way to have him on the ice and we let off the show talking about the Hawks lack of firepower mm-hmm. and the, you know, break class in case of emergency move as well. We'll just double shift Patrick Kane. Okay, fine, on a normal day. But if Kubelik's really fe- feeling it one night, double shift him. Put him out there with the fourth line. See what can happen. I This is my concern, and I, and I don't know what the thing is with Cowlton and Kubelik. I don't understand it. But it happened all last year where he was barely on the power play until late in the year. Then, oh, lo and behold, you found yourself a 30-goal scorer. Uh, I, I need to see more of Dominic Kubelik on the ice. He might be your, your best natural goal scorer. Aside from what? Maybe Debrinkit? Kubelik is a guy who can snipe and can put the puck on net with accuracy, and they need that. Also, you mentioned Kuryshev, who's playing really well. I think, you know, we've seen his first few games have been really noteworthy. 10 minutes on the ice last night. And I know, look, you can't take a kid and throw him out there in every situation and expect him to thrive. But I want to see those numbers as the season goes on go up. And up and up for guys like Kurashev and even guys like Hagel because you want to see the young guys get the opportunity I know you can't put Kurashev out there for 17 18 minutes right away you've got to protect these guys but it's just something to keep an eye on the ice time for Kurashev, uh I hope goes up as his experience goes up because that's a kid who when you talk about the lack of scoring firepower on this team he looks like a guy who's got a little bit of it so, start using him and maybe just put him on the power play for a while. See what happens. I don't know. That's something gonna, I'm keeping I, an eye on.
0: I was going to bring up the power play thing with Kurishev, and it was something that I was kind of noticing last night. I will, I do have to say one thing about that, is that I think. I think I'm okay with Dominic Kubelik staying on the second power play unit for right now. Well, you spread Not out the because, depth. like, I think he doesn't deserve to be on the top line. He totally does. Sure. But if you watch the way that they're deploying that power play and the way that they're kind of executing some of their strategies and their plays, he basically plays the same role Patrick Kane does. Like, he's basically in the same place mm-hmm. on the ice that Kane would be if he was on the ice. So I think that – I had mentioned in the, one of our earlier podcasts that I thought he should be put on that first line because he's obviously just such a dynamic scorer and is like you said probably the best natural goal scorer on the team but at the same time like I can't make an argument in my head that it's a good idea to demote Patrick Kane from the top power play unit because he's Patrick freaking Kane <laughs> and he can do so many Correct. things well and I just I think that he I think he fits in really well in that second unit, don't you think?
1: I do, and I think that goes like to the old Q method of spreading across, spreading, a, spreading around your firepower. Right? You don't want to overload one line and then, or, or one unit, and just have that be really your only option. Then put out—I don't want to say scrubs, but you know what I mean. You want to have
0: definitely not scrubs on that second power play unit. We'll get into that a little bit too. And,
1: and speaking of the power play, I also want to mention Andrew Shaw. Who? Yes. Um, man, he has come out, uh, ready to go. And I think the addition of you know him coming back and the addition of Zadorov has given this team a little bit of uh, an attitude they didn't have before. Uh, everyone knows Andrew Shaw's game. The moment in the game last night, Shaw's going down the right wing boards with the puck. Uh, the defenseman Stillman tries to stand Shaw up at the line, and Shaw just runs him over. <laughs> Shaw's just like, nope, I am getting into the zone with the puck. The play was blown dead because uh, Stillman was on top of the puck. But that's Andrew Shaw initiating contact and on the power play. I don't love him out there in the slot as the trigger man, but I like him there in front of the net. But he's done a really good job at retrieving pucks, winning battles in the corners, all the things you want Andrew Shaw to do. He's doing it. He four shots on goal against four last night, three hits. Um, I, I think that his impact has been pretty solid. You also have that you know, veteran guy with some skins on the wall, Leading by example for these young guys, uh, I, you know, I know I want to play as many young guys as possible this season, but I think having Andrew Shaw out there adds an element, especially up front, that the Hawks don't have, and I've been really pleased with the way he's played this season.
0: Yeah, and he took quite a few draws last night. Clearly, he was feeling it last night, and I think that you can notice the impact, I think, that that has on guys like Lucas Walmark and Matthias Janmark, who were out there at even strength with them last night. I think he's having a good impact on their games as well, Mm -hmm. and he is... I know the Blackhawks, obviously, over the years have had some really good four checkers, and they've always been really good at putting pressure on defenses to kind of get the puck out, and they can always, like, force turnovers, create new possessions, etc. Man, Andrew Shaw is physical on the four check. That dude just attacks the crap out of whoever has the puck. If it's still in the offensive zone, you can guarantee Andrew Shaw is going to be going over there trying to run them over, and he did that a couple of times last night and got the Blackhawks some possessions, and I know – it's going to lead to rushes the other way, and there are going to be some decent scoring opportunities. But just that ability to kind of disrupt plays with his physicality, like you mentioned, is something that the Blackhawks lacked a lot of last season. And I think it's really important to have that, especially at even strength, and especially with guys like Walmart, who honestly has been one of the pleasant surprises for this Blackhawks team and is being used in all situations which I find very interesting that he got significant time shorthanded last night and also got some power play time very interested to see how his development continues and I think putting him with Andrew Shaw was a really good idea by Jeremy Colleton and I'm kind of liking that combination of talents and skill sets and the thing that you had mentioned Something about Andrew Shaw that I thought I found interesting, which was obviously his ability to get to the front of the net. And the Blackhawks, yeah, they don't have Jonathan Taves right now, but other than Taves in the last couple of seasons, they really haven't had that guy who can get to the front of the net and do what a guy like Patrick Hornquist did last night score goals from in close on the power play. And my curiosity there is what's happening on the second unit, which is where Pia Suter is playing that role. And I think that that's. the the ability to potentially have two guys that can do that is huge. And it's a big part of the reason why we've seen the power play be so successful is that it seems like guys are properly slotted into the roles that they need to be in. And that's another credit to the coaching staff for identifying that. And I'm really interested to see your take, Jay, on what you think of Suter being in that spot. And do you think that that's something that we should be, I guess looking for, you know, moving forward, is that something he's going to continue doing?
1: I think a big part about that role is more willingness than body size. And I think Andrew Shaw is, it proves that, right? Like Andrew Shaw, when you look at him, is not a big dude. He's not a, you know, he's short. He's not necessarily jacked by any means, but it's a willingness and it's a mindset. And remember, Dylan Strom's first year he talked about that adjustment of having to go play in front of the net that's not something he was asked to do before and you kind of have to retrain your brain to play that way but from the jump from the first game of the year we saw Pia Suter almost instinctually heading to the front of the net to make things happen and yeah I mean to me to be able to take on that role 80 percent of it is willingness the other is finding being having the ability to find the puck at your feet or having the ability to redirect a puck heading towards you right but and there's a lot of indication if you look at pia Suter's numbers uh in uh switzerland they're good the guy knows how to score goals and so i i think he's you know when you look at him he might not look like he's not todd bertuzzi or brennan shanahan by any means right but it doesn't matter he's willing he is willing and that's something again that the Hawks have lacked over the last few years is a guy who's willing to stand in front of the net, get his ass kicked, take a beating to get those deflections or to set those screens, and just look at the way goals are being scored. Aside from the Patrick Kane highlight reel goal, most of the goals we've seen scored both ways this year have been kind of scrums in front, you know, redirections, uh, hitting a guy and going, you know, that's how goals are scored, especially early in the season while teams are finding their legs, they're finding their chemistry. I love the fact that from Jump Street, Pia Suter was able, was not able, but willing to just go in front of the net and do what it took uh, you know, to generate some offense. So it's funny. They're 0-3-1, and we spent the majority of this podcast talking positively about things. Yeah. Because, again, like we've said, this year's not so much about the results, right? It's about the development. And we're going to take a quick time out, but when we come back, James and I are going to talk about uh, two positives we've seen this year each and two concerns we have so far this year. Uh, But first, I want to tell you about our friends at Fry the Coop, Oaklawn, Elmhurst, Westtown, Prospect Heights, and coming very soon to Tinley Park. I cannot wait. Fry the Coop offers the best Nashville hot chicken you've ever had, I've ever had, and I've had all of them. All the greats in Nashville, Fry the Coop is on par with all of them. Go check them out. Go to frythecoop.com, peruse your menu, place your online order. You can pull up, walk up to their takeout window. Easy peasy. You're in and out, and you're home quickly eating some of the best Nashville hot chicken you've ever had. And something about Fry the Coop, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's their freshness. I live 30 minutes from the closest Fry the Coop. I go pick up an order, put it on the floor of my car, bring it home. It's still crispy. It, til- it still tastes fresh. I don't know what they do to make that happen, but they do, and it works every time. Fry the Coop. come get your happiness at friday the coop we're going to take a quick time out and come back on the madhouse chicago hockey podcast
0: welcome back into what has largely been a positive and uplifting edition of the (laughs) madhouse chicago hockey podcast jay and i have talked a lot about the blackhawks goaltending situation we talked about some of the things about the first few games of the season that have stood out to us, the Dylan Stroms, the Dominic Kubeliks of the world. And now it is the time that we have teased. It is time for us to give the things that are encouraging us and the things that are concerning us about the opening of the Blackhawks season. Jay, I'm going to give you the floor first. Tell me, sir, what thing is encouraging you the most this season?
1: Well, I don't know if it's the most because I think we got into some of the encouraging stuff. But I want to we have not mentioned the name of Ian Mitchell yet. And while he's not showing up on a stat sheet, while his plus minus isn't great, you are seeing the signs of a really, really solid defenseman. We talk about hockey instinct and hockey smarts negatively with Alex Nylander, which we did last year, and a little bit with Adam Boquist so far this year. Ian Mitchell shows you that he understands the game well. He's gotten caught up ice a couple times, trying to make plays, maybe making a read he shouldn't have made or reacting a little bit too slowly, but the instincts are there. The instincts are correct. And there's been a lot of little sneaky plays that he's made that have been really, really good. So I'm, I'm very encouraged from what I've seen uh, from Ian Mitchell so far, even though he's not, you know, lighting up the scoreboard by any means, those signs of a really, really solid defenseman have been there. And that to me is very, very positive.
0: I mean, last night we did see him pinch in a few times where maybe he's shutting up, and that's just kind of something that you're going to learn. But the thing with him is he does have the awareness to know when he's done messed up aaron, and he's <laughs> able to kind of get back and to kind of fix the situation. He did that last night when he had that back check of Jonathan Huberdeau, I believe it was, who had the breakaway coming in on uh, Kevin Lankinen. Not only did Ian Mitchell keep him from getting a shot off, he didn't commit a penalty while he was doing it, right? And this came right after Patrick Kane had gotten a penalty shot. So you kind of imagine the officials are probably looking at that like, "Do we have to give another one? Because we just <laughs> did." And he, it was perfect. It was textbook the way that he denied the shot and did so without committing a penalty. So yeah, I obviously like we don't we still don't know a ton about Ian Mitchell after four games, but I think that we've seen. Some of the things that have kind of been mentioned to us by people in the Blackhawks organization about where he's at developmentally, we've seen some of that play out on the ice, and it's been largely positive so far.
1: All right, what do you got?
0: My first encouraging kind of development so far this season has been the way that Duncan Keith has been approaching basically everything. And I know that... We've been concerned about, like, what Duncan Keith's mentality is about the state of the organization, the way that Jeremy Colleton coaches, the players that he's been put with. Mm -hmm. I've seen a lot of Duncan Keith, both in practice before the season and now that the season has actually started, I do feel like Duncan Keith seems to be in a good headspace, and he's been playing well, been playing with a lot of aggressiveness, a lot of quickness, just the... The hockey intelligence of Duncan Keith has always been something that I think we've marveled at and probably has gotten lost in the fact that he has such prodigious hockey gifts on the ice. His ability to diagnose plays and to kind of figure stuff out has always been something I've marveled at. And I think that what I've noticed from him this season is not only has he been doing that stuff, but I think he has been taking on a very serious role in kind of guiding some of these younger guys through it. And last night, I think, when he was paired up with Adam Boquist, that's easily a situation where Duncan Keith me like, ah, crap, I'm being put with the guy who is probably playing the worst hockey out of any of the 18 skaters that we've been dressing on a nightly basis. And instead, I, I noticed Keith a lot doing good things in the game. And as the game progressed, I did think that Adam Boquist kind of stepped up his game just a little bit from where it had been, which obviously there's nowhere to go, but up. let's yeah. just be honest here. But... I appreciated the fact that Duncan Keith like didn't seem to let that bother him and he wasn't kind of like lackadaisical on the ice. There wasn't any like visible negative impact on his game. And in fact, I did see him make some good plays last night.
1: Absolutely right. And that's the other positive I want to get to, too. By the way, Mark Lazarus wrote about Duncan Keith sort of taking over that mentor role uh, a little bit on the team and helping the younger players and how he's he's sort of on board for it. So that's huge for me was his buy-in for the team was going to be critical to the development of these young guys. And look, Bowman and Cowan said, we've talked to the veterans, they're on board with everything, and so far, you're seeing indications of that. We'll see how it lasts if things keep going the way they're going, but so far, so good for Duncan Keith. By the way, Duncan Keith, the team's leading scorer right now with four points. Okay, the other thing I want to get to, uh, and it does apply to Duncan Keith a little bit, my other positive is... The ice time distribution. I think, as far as the defense goes, you've seen the passing of the torch um, from Duncan Keith to Connor Murphy. Connor Murphy played twenty four nineteen at even strength last night. Nikita Zadorov twenty two uh, thirty four. Calvin Hahn eighteen twenty one. Then fourth in even strength ice time for defenseman was Duncan Keith at eighteen oh seven. So you're you're not seeing the giant workload for Duncan Keith you've seen before. Um, not totally sure what to make of Zadorov yet because he's had a few of those plays you describe with Mitchell, where you're like, "Wow, really nice breakup or standing the guy up at the line." The physicality; he had eight hits last night. I like the physical. In hits, yeah, for sure. And he's going to win it by a wide margin, by the way, <laughs> because he loves it. He has, and what I like about him is he doesn't care who it is. It could be you know Connor McDavid or it could be you know Joe Blow on the fourth line. Zadorov's going to hit you equally and doesn't really care about it. Um, But there have been a couple of those moments where you're like, what the hell was he thinking on that? Like a bad pinch or whatever. Maybe with more ice time, maybe with playing with guys like Keith Murphy, DeHaan will work that out of his game a little bit. You know, I think he's going to get more ice time in Chicago than he did in Colorado. And this is, again, we talk about the development traits of Jeremy Cowlton. What is he going to do with Zadorov here? How is Nikita Zadorov's game going to grow because he's got this year left on his contract. He's a, res- I believe, restricted free agent after this season. So they're going to have to figure out what they're going to do with him. They were giving him all the ice time to camp, 2341 total of ice time last night. So I like that he's playing, and I like that other guys are taking ice time, not away from Duncan Keith, but just they're getting opportunities to show what they can do. And look, Connor Murphy's a veteran. Calvin DeHaan's a veteran, but it shows a general willingness of – Jeremy Colleton to not just lean on the veterans all the time and I think that's a positive sign
0: I I think we've talked about this at length enough so I'm not going to get too far into it but I just think the composition of the power play units for the Blackhawks is something that is worthy of praise and obviously like it goes to Jeremy Colleton for putting these guys together I think that Going into this season, not having guys like Taves and Doc and Nylander, it was going to be really difficult to kind of identify which players should be on the power play, and especially the fact that they got no preseason games to kind of you know mess around with combinations and stuff. Right. I think that Colleton has done a pretty solid job of putting together two Really interesting power play units that seem to work really well together. And guys all kind of have their defined roles. I love the fact, by the way, that Adam Boquist is still on the top pairing for the power play. Like you said, takes some burden off of Duncan Keith in terms of his ice time. And I do think that Boquist is capable of playing that quarterback role. We'll see how well he develops into it but then you have the guys like Sean Suter who get to the front of the net on the two units. You have Patrick Kane and Dominic Kubalik out on the wing kind of being the creators and occasionally being the shooters. You do have a guy like Alex Dobrynkit with the lightning quick shot on that top pairing. We'll see if Lucas Walmark ends up sticking on the second unit. I think before too long we're probably going to start to see Philip Kurishev move into that Walmart role, mm-hmm. but I just I, the way that I look at all of this is I look at it and say to myself, "You know what? I think Jeremy Colleton might be onto something with these groupings." And I just I think that What we've seen in the first couple of games this season from those groups has been really encouraging, and I thought that was on full display last night. So I want to give kudos to those players for – Qu- quickly like settling into their roles and succeeding at them and kudos to Jeremy Colleton and the coaching staff for putting those together I think that's been it's been a pleasant experience like the Blackhawks power play isn't usually pleasant but it has <laughs> been especially the last couple of games
1: well and something to keep an eye on uh, for Friday is how Carl Soderberg is going to throw a wrench into these plans too that's a veteran guy who's going to play when he's ready and uh, it's going to be interesting to see what Cowan does lineup-wise and line-wise and all those sort of things. All right, before we get to our concerns, got to tell you about our friends at Dr. Squatch Natural Soap Company. I am not concerned company. about Dr. Squatch. No, you shouldn't be. Literally, as we're doing the podcast, just got a tweet uh, sent to uh, sent to me from a listener who tried Dr. Squatch. Showed, showed me a big picture of his—he sent a picture of his order. I almost said—showed me a picture of his package, that. which is not what he did. It was a— bo- his soap. He showed me a picture of his soap, ordered a bunch of it. Very, very happy. You can get some too. DrSquatch.com. When you're ready to check out, use that promo code Madhouse20. You'll save 20% on your order. If you're not familiar with Dr. Squatch, friend, let me tell you, Dr. Squatch is a natural handmade in the USA soap company. Their specialty are the large bricks of soap. They're absolutely amazing. I was having a lot of trouble with my skin um, what I probably almost a year ago when I started using Dr. Squatch and immediately saw results with the quality of my skin so became a subscriber after that reached out to them and said hey look I got two pretty successful podcasts would you guys like to partner with us they said yes and uh, it's been bliss ever since it's been great so get yourself some natural soap in the months since I subscribed though they've added hair care products toothpaste toothpaste deodorant. They've got cologne. They've got beard oils. Go to DrSquatch.com. Check out their selection. You can take that Squatch quiz at the top right page, top right of the page there, and it will sort of help you build your order, build what you need as far as your scents, your textures, all those sort of things. I promise you, if you try Dr. Squatch, you're going to become a subscriber one way or another. Invest in yourself. Invest in your skin, in your hair. You're going to feel better. You're going to look better, it is worth the investment to go with a premium product like Dr. Squatch. And when you do, you can save 20% with that promo code MADHOUSE20 at DrSquatch.com. All right, let's get to our, I don't want to say negatives, I want to say concerns. My biggest concern, and I think this is the biggest concern for a lot of Hawks fans right now, is the way Adam Boquist has looked this season. Look, he is the most important Black Hawk on the roster right now. I don't think there's any question about that. Without Kirby Doc here right now, Boquist's development is the biggest key to them having a successful future. This is a first-round pick. This is a guy with high expectations. This is a guy with a very good skill set. What we've seen from Adam Boquist through four games is, is concerning to me because while you can maybe understand it's tough to get called up mid-season last year, And then, like, develop and, you know, go... We always say development isn't linear, and that's true. But I think most of last year, Boga sort of stayed even and then dipped down during the playoffs. Fine. It's a different level of hockey. There's been a bunch of time off. Great. He comes into this year with high expectations, with a full season under his belt, basically, and just looks lost. It's not that he's not getting on the score sheet. It's that every shift... He's making a crucial mistake, it seems. Bailing out on a hit, turning a puck over. Last night, he just fell down in the defensive zone. There was a play in the first game where he was chasing down an icing and was caught from behind. It's these mental lapses I'm seeing from Adam Boquas that concern me. And part of it is, it appears to be a lack of willingness to compete. We talked about Andrew Shaw running over Stillman the Florida defenseman last night we've talked about Pia Suter's willingness to get in front of the net we've talked about Ian Mitchell's you know willingness to race back and recover from mistake when I watch Adam Bocas play I see someone who's timid I see someone who's terrified of making a mistake and that is not a good way for a defenseman to play and I, I don't know I don't want to jump the gun after four games but when the AHL season returns it might not be the worst idea to send Boquist to Rockford and just give him tons of ice time and let him work out of this funk he's in because he played 12-26. I know he got banged up a little bit in the second period. Every time he's on the ice, I cringe. And that was the dude coming into the season I was most excited and hopeful to watch. And after four games, I have huge concerns.
0: Yeah, and obviously I can't really, you know, dispute any of that. I think that if you had to make a ranking of the Blackhawks this season in terms of their performance so far, he would be at or near the bottom of the list. I think that he obviously has a lot to work on. I I'm not sure if I'm gonna say that like it's maybe like a kind of a lack of willingness to compete, I guess. Like that's it's it's certainly possible. I'm not gonna like dispute dispute that at well, all. Let me say this what too, I-
1: just real quick you can look that way when you're thinking too much too because it's
0: exactly a, what i was going it's to a say. hesitation there's a hesitation I, I think there. the hesitation is definitely what concerns me because he's clearly still thinking too much and i i begin to wonder like he's still obvious i don't think he's played a full season's worth of games yet in his nhl career so i don't want to kind of jump the gun on this but it's something that I'm beginning to wonder, like, is that just always going to be part of the equation with Adam Boquist? And if it is, that's going to limit his development potential severely. And it's something that definitely concerns me as well. And it's something that I'm hoping him being put back with Duncan Keith, I think works better for him. I was excited to see him with Nikita Zadorov. I don't think that that pairing really worked out all that well and so I was glad to see that Colleton made the change and I think it could ultimately be beneficial for Adam Boquist we'll see how he plays in a game where he doesn't have to uh leave the ice and go to the dressing room for a little bit because of an injury
1: I just checked this James uh don't cheat I'm gonna ask you uh playoffs and regular season combined how many games has Adam Boquist played
0: 62
1: 53 Way lower than I thought.
0: Yeah, I I knew I did not think he had played a full season's worth of games. I just couldn't couldn't quite pull it together. I was like, how many games has he played in the regular season? Dang
1: it! Yeah, regular season is uh, what he played forty one, I think it was forty one last year. Yeah, because it would be half of a regular season. Right. Um. Yeah, forty one last year and then four this year, so forty five total regular season games. Mm. By the way, he has three points in four games this year.
0: <laughs> hey, you know, you put him out on the power play. Good things are ultimately going to happen. I think I would say at least two of those are probably power play points.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, That's so right. Yeah, I, I, I can definitely see the concern with him, and I completely agree that it's something that definitely warrants keeping an eye on. That actually dovetails nicely into one of my concerns, which isn't necessarily like an on ice thing right this second, but I think is a developmental thing as we go along. I'm curious to see how Jeremy Colleton is going to handle getting ice time for guys like Lucas Carlson, Wyatt Kalyanuck, and Nicholas Bodan. Like, those guys, Mm -hmm. I, I know I had brought up previously that I thought that maybe if you were sitting out Boquist, you put Carlson in, and then they promptly put Carlson and Kalyanuck on the, I believe they put them both on the taxi squad, which... You know, whether that means anything or not remains to be seen. I know they wanted to get Brandon Hagel up onto the roster to get him into last night's game. Obviously didn't want to send Matthew Highmore down, whatever have you. I'm curious to see how you end up getting those guys ice time. Because once you bring in, especially Kalyanuk and Bodan, like you really, you need to give them an extended run. You can't just put them in for a game and then pull them out. And I'm curious to see what the Blackhawks end up doing because are you going to healthy scratch Calvin DeHaan? For a game, like if you have a back-to-back, would you consider scratching him? Would you consider scratching Duncan Keith for a game if it ends up being like a back-to-back or, you know, three and four days, whatever the Blackhawks end up doing on their schedule? I don't have it in front of me. I don't know if these things exist. I apologize. But <laughs> my my point is, do, how do you get those guys ice time? And it's a delicate dance that Jeremy Colleton is going to have to kind of go through here. And I don't see an easy answer for it because – you have some of these veteran guys who are so critical to you being able to defend at all. Right. Odds are you're probably going to have to pull at least one of those guys out. And I'm wondering just how willing Jeremy Colleton is going to be to do something like that. And again, it it, it can't just boil down to pulling out Calvin Dehan for one game. You have to give those young guys extended run, at least I think, if you really want to aid in their development.
1: Well, and Calvin DeHaan has probably been – Your best defender so far, too. So it's the the point is, yeah, no, absolutely. You know
0: what I mean. That is definitely not indicative of his performance. No,
1: for sure, absolutely. When I'm looking up to to the trade deadline is I think April seventeenth. So I wouldn't be shocked if things continue to go the way they are, and I I mean they're going to, um (laughs) that they maybe trade out a veteran defenseman because there is. You do have to give these guys a look at some point, and it is tough. Like you don't want to take a kid out. Like is you know maybe if they do end up sending Boquist to Rockford or they give him a breather to take a look from the press box for a night or whatever, you get those guys in. But you're right, you you want to see them with some sort of consistency. And when you look at the veterans, you're not going to stra- scratch Keith. You're not going to scratch Murphy. Uh, you probably shouldn't scratch the Dorov as you're. He's only 25 and you're still getting a, a feel for him. Um, you know Dehan, you're you're probably right. Like Dehan is probably the the candidate to be the guy who's the veteran that sits. The other thing that's sort of looming over this is Brent Seabrook, because at some point he's going to be back and ready to play. Like I was told that he could be ready to go like by next week, and and so that 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 to me this is a this is a big test for Cowan. And so far, I've been pretty pleased with his deployment of young players. I think he's doing a pretty good job, save for too little ice time for Kubalik. But he's got like we mentioned already, we've got Soderberg coming back Friday. Seabrook is on the horizon meanwhile you've got these young guys that got to play like when Soderbergh comes in who's sitting Mm. right like is it going to be Carpenter like
0: that'd be my guess I think that especially with the way the penalty kill has been struggling I could see that potentially being the decision and
1: that to me would be the most satisfying thing to do because you know what you have in Ryan Carpenter it's a one million dollar contract you don't have you're not going to be long-term committed to him and it's not taking a, uh not taking time away from a kid, right? So actually, Carpenter has one more year left after this one, and a million. Yeah, it bucks, was a three-year,
0: one million dollar a season yeah. deal, which I thought was interesting.
1: Yeah, so uh, that to me would be the most pleasing answer. But I I'm concerned: is it going to be Hagel? Is it going to be Kurochev? Is it going to be somebody else who sits when Carl Soderberg comes back? Um, yeah,
0: that's that's kind of okay. You know what? I'm just going to throw it out there. I, I've been th- kind of chewing on this and. <sighs> It has to be done. It, this hat, this idea has to be uh, put out onto the floor. Do you dress eleven forwards and seven defensemen?
1: I don't mind doing that, and then you just give some more ice time to Kane or Kubalik or Brinkett or whoever you feel is worthy. All that three night. of them, probably. Yeah. Fine. I, yeah, you know. I mean
0: that's the, that's the that's the best like idea I can come up with right now, and I know our listeners are probably like, this defense is giving up five goals a game. What the hell are you guys talking about? Nobody should be safe, and it's like, yeah, you're right, but.
1: Well, it's the, still the,
0: a hard decision to make, especially when you're talking about veterans and likely benching them for more than just one game.
1: Well, and forwards are part of the reason you give up goals, too. It's not always on just the defenseman Fair. and just the goalie. So the team defense hasn't been great, and that's reflected in the penalty kill, which has been brutal. Ugh. Um, my other Is concern, that your other
0: least encouraging, by the way? No. Mine.
1: My other least encouraging is uh, Calton kind of coaching to not lose. I was not happy with – David Camp being on the ice for overtime like look you you have elite scoring weapons right even if you don't want to put kids out there you've got Patrick Kane you've got Dylan Strome you've got Duncan Keith put them out there on the ice to start overtime and see what happens right don't don't they had Kane it was I think it was Kane and Camp Camp loses the face off then Kane leaves the ice like that's coaching with cowardice man you've got to get that extra point you already have the one why are you playing not to lose? I don't like that. I, I did not like that approach and we've seen him relying heavily on the camp line. They almost start every game. okay, maybe you don't want to get down one nothing right away and you put the safe guys out there. but guess what? Maybe you get up one to nothing early because Patrick Kane is shot out of a cannon and wants to make something happen.
0: We'll see what they do at home.
1: Yeah so that's 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 my other concern that we haven't really gotten to yet.
0: I didn't even really think about that, but you're absolutely right. See? This is why we do this podcast. You mm-hmm. make me think about It's things, like therapy Jay. for us. <laughs> my my other con- my other concern uh aside from Colleton's Cowardly Coaching. <laughs> Ooh. The my favorite the children's concern- book. <laughs> <laughs> I c- c- Colleton, the Cowardly Coach. Um that's our new T-shirt, by the way. Uh, Triple Threat sports can start working that one up anytime <laughs> they want. Uh, the penalty kill. I did want to bring it up. The penalty kill has been one of the NHL's worst. It was something that the Blackhawks have been, you know, kind of decent at the last few seasons. I'm really concerned about that because obviously, like you've mentioned several times in this podcast, momentum can mean a lot. And the Blackhawks have had kind of a nasty habit of committing some, like, bad penalties. And then their penalty-killing unit basically just gives up a goal on the very first possession that the opposition had. I think twice last night, the Blackhawks gave up goals right off the jump on the penalty kill, which is just – it's not good. And the Blackhawks – and it was, like I said, an area where I thought they had some guys who were pretty productive in terms of being good penalty killers. Your Carpenters, for example – I'm just not seeing it this year and I'm not sure if it's like a structural change that they need to make, maybe a personnel change. Something needs to be done differently in that area of the game because it's the area of the game that is most dependent on structure and personnel. Like you can control a lot of elements on the power play. You can control the way you're positioned, the way you like the way you just kind of skate around the ice. You don't get like into a pattern where you're over rotating or anything like that. The Blackhawks have seemed to really lack discipline in that area, and it's something that I think has kind of flown under the radar because of both the successes of the team in terms of scoring goals recently and the deficiencies that they've shown at even strength on defense. I think the – penalty kill like yeah and part of it might be goaltending too but it's something that they need to address
1: all right i think we have covered literally everything we are getting uh, tremendously long on this podcast so we're gonna wrap things up remember thursday we've got our nwhl season preview with marissa and jemmy don't miss that it's really really good if you've never watched the nwhl before just give this a listen it's a short interview podcast about 15 minutes get informed and get ready for the very short nwhl season and then friday join us for the blackhawks home opener on hot Mike. download the hot mic app when you uh enter that referral code enter code madhouse and join us for the game interact with us during the game you can sync your tv up download that app on ios or android now and use that code once again madhouse for my partner james neveau my name is jay Zawoski. we'll talk to you friday night on hot Mike. this is the madhouse chicago hockey podcast the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast was brought to you by Triple Threat Sports,
0: Marishkas and Crest Hill, Dr. Squatch, and by Fry
1: the Coop.